Philemon from Hori Homiletiki by Charles Simeon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Benevolence encouraged. Philemon 7. We have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. In no epistle that was ever written was contained, I apprehend, a greater measure of address and skill than in this. The apostle had a deep knowledge of the human heart and an exquisite sensibility within his own bosom, so that, whilst speaking with the utmost simplicity of mind, he touched the feelings of his friend with a delicacy that no rules of art could ever have supplied. It is thought by many that to express approbation of a person when soliciting a favour is to flatter, to cajole, to bribe him and that to praise him to his face under any circumstances is unworthy adulation that the offering of praise in an extravagant way is inexpedient and disgusting i readily acknowledge but to applaud what is good in a man in order to encourage him in the prosecution of his way is nothing more than what equity demands and what a knowledge of the human heart will fully approve accordingly we find that the apostle paul was ever ready in all his epistles to commend the virtues of his converts as far as the occasion called for such acknowledgments and truth would sanction them to the christians at rome he says i am persuaded of you my brethren that ye are full of goodness filled with all knowledge able also to admonish one another to those at corinth he writes i thank my god always on your behalf for the grace of god which is given you by jesus christ that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge even as the testimony of christ was confirmed in you so that ye come behind in no gift waiting for the coming of our lord jesus christ in like manner to the thessalonians he says we give thanks to god always for you all making mention of you in our prayers remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labour of love and patience of hope in our lord jesus christ it is in the same strain that he addresses his beloved fellow labourer philemon in the words before us which will naturally lead me to show you first the proper office of love love ought to be exercised towards every child of man yea even to our enemies but it is due in a more especial manner to the saints as st paul has said as we have opportunity let us do good unto all men especially unto them that are of the household of faith nor is this preference to be shown upon any party principle it is founded upon strong substantial grounds it is actually due to them one because they are more dear to god than others from all eternity they were chosen of god and predestinated to the adoption of children by jesus christ unto himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace in due season he calls them by his grace and by the incorruptible seed of his word begets them again unto a lively hope so that they are sons and consequently heirs of god and joint heirs with christ shall not this then give them a priority in our esteem when brought into such a state as this shall they be regarded by us at no higher rate than the enemies of god and the children of the wicked one assuredly not if we love him that begat we ought in a preeminent degree to love those who are begotten of him two because the lord jesus christ is more deeply interested in them they have sought through him the remission of their sins to him alone they look as their only hope on his word they rely in the fountain of his blood they have washed in his righteousness they are clothed they habitually live by faith upon him and receive their all out of his fullness they are in fact the members of his body yea surprising as it must appear they are one spirit with him 
And does the Lord Jesus Christ so identify himself with them? Does he even say that what we do to the least of his brethren we do unto him? And shall we place them on a level with others who have no relation to him? It were quite absurd to imagine that others who stand in no such relation to him should be placed on a level with them. It cannot, it must not be. 3. Because they are more nearly related to ourselves. In a natural sense we are all children of one common parent, but in a spiritual sense there is a very wide difference between us and others. Others are still strangers and foreigners, but we, supposing, I mean, that we have been truly converted to Christ, are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Yea, being all one body in Christ, we all are members one of another. Let any one then judge, has the eye or ear no claim upon the hand or foot? Does not nature herself teach us that the members of the same body should all have the same care one for another, and that whatever attention we show to others, our highest regards are due to these? 4. Because they are themselves of superior worth. God himself has said, and therefore we may say it without vanity, the righteous is more excellent than his neighbour. He is a partaker of the divine nature. The Holy Ghost himself dwelleth in him, yea, the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ come to him and make their abode with him. They are altogether the Lord's, his property, his people. Their faculties and powers, whether of mind or body, are devoted to his service. They live but to advance his glory in the world, and with a view to their welfare does God himself govern and direct the world. So highly are they esteemed in heaven that the very angels account it an honour to be their servants. Is there not then a preeminent regard due to them from us? There is, and we should show it in all our conduct towards them. We should be particularly careful to supply their wants, to supply them too, in such a way as not only to relieve their bodies, but to refresh their souls. Our tender feelings towards them, our affectionate expressions, our sympathising tears, should show them that we feel an identity of interest with them, and that we are God's messengers sent expressly for the relief and comfort of their souls. I well know that this kind of love will, to many, appear partial and confined, but it is such as God approves, and in proof that it is so, I will point out, second, its excellence when so employed. To prevent misapprehension, let me again say that the exercise of love is not to be confined to the saints, but only to be maintained towards them in a superior degree. A love of benevolence and beneficence is due to all. A love of complacency is due to the saints alone. And towards them it should be exercised to such an extent that we should be willing even to lay down our lives for them. How estimable this divine principle was in the judgment of St. Paul may be seen from the manner in which he speaks of it. I have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. He evidently had a high idea of its excellency. And on what grounds? Because he felt, one, how preeminently God was honoured by it. It was so exercised in obedience to an express command of God, so that God's care for the saints was displayed in it. Besides, it bore upon it the very stamp and character of God, who manifests himself to his saints, as he does not unto the world. Hence it necessarily led the saints to behold God's hand and to taste his love in every mercy they received, and consequently it stirred them up to glorify him as the true source of all their blessings. This is spoken of by the Apostle as a very distinguished excellence of this love, that it not only supplies the want of the saints, which is in comparison a very trifling consideration, but that it causeth thanksgiving to God, whilst by the experience of it many are made to glorify God for the grace so exercised, and for the subjection which 
persons under its influence manifest to the gospel of Christ. 2. How greatly the gospel also was recommended and adorned. This love is the fruit of the gospel and of the gospel alone. Not an atom of it is found in the whole world except as it is produced by the gospel of Christ. There may be generosity and humanity exercised on natural and carnal principles, but love to the saints as saints for Christ's sake and a special endeavour to relieve Christ himself in them are feelings to which an unconverted man is an utter stranger. In truth, it is from the gospel that all the great works of benevolence chiefly flow. Look at Bible societies, mission societies, benevolent societies, and all which have religion for their end, and you will find them all set on foot by persons professing the gospel of Christ. I say not, but that other persons may be brought in to contribute to their support, but I do say that they almost universally originate with the followers of Christ. And it is a fact that in one single church, where the gospel is preached in simplicity, more societies of this kind are established and upheld than in a dozen, I had almost said an hundred, other parishes of equal population and equal wealth. In fact, what is the gospel but faith working by love? When, therefore, its real tendency is thus strongly marked, it cannot but rejoice every soul that either tastes the sweetness of the gospel or desires its advancement in the world. 3. What extensive benefits accrued to it from the church? Though, as we have said, the benefit of individual saints is a small matter in comparison of the honour that accrues to God, yet, if viewed in its full extent, it is of no light moment. We have spoken of love as being exercised in a way to refresh the soul of the saints, and let me ask whether, if at any time we have visited a person in deep affliction and mingled our tears with his, and laboured with tender and self-denying services for his good, we have not seen, as it were, a load taken off his mind, and his sorrow turned into joy. Have not persons so comforted looked up to God with grateful adoration for the blessings bestowed, have not their friends and attendants, too, been often filled with admiration of the persons manifesting these dispositions, and been constrained to cry out, Behold how these Christians love one another? There is no knowing where the benefit arising from these efforts stops, or to how many one single exercise of love may reach. In this view, then, this blessed principle commends itself to us, and should fill with joy and comfort every one who beholds it in active operation." for what an evidence it gave of substantial piety in him who possessed it almsgiving affords no criterion for piety nor do the common offices of love but love to the saints for christ's sake is both to the person himself and to all who behold him a decided evidence that he is born of god to himself i say it is an evidence for it is said we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren and again let us not love in word or in tongue but in deed and in truth and hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. Nor is it a less clear evidence to others, for our Lord has said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Say then, was there not occasion for joy in the apostle's mind when the piety of his friend stood so confessed that it was impossible for any one to entertain a doubt of it? Yes, and wherever we behold similar fruits of faith, we do and will rejoice." Let me now improve the subject. 1. In a way of thankful acknowledgement. I bless God that the commendation given to Philemon is justly applicable to many of you, to you especially who are engaged in visiting the sick, instructing the ignorant, comforting the afflicted, and relieving the necessitous. 
I can bear witness that your efforts have been crowned with success, not only in refreshing the bowels of the saints, but in awakening also and saving the souls of sinners. Footnote. This is adapted to a visiting or benevolent society. Of course, this part of the subject must be made to suit the particular occasion. End footnote. Yes, brother, yes, sister, I have much joy and consolation in the grace exercised by thee, and in the good affected by thee. May God recompense it into thy bosom an hundredfold. To you also, who have contributed to aid the society with your funds, an acknowledgment is justly due, and I trust that your liberality on the present occasion will afford me fresh ground for joy and gratitude. Yet I must not let my gratitude terminate altogether on you, but must rather view God himself in you, and give glory to him, from whom alone cometh every good and perfect gift. 2. In a way of affectionate exhortation. Let none of you rest in any attainment. The apostle commended his Thessalonian converts because their faith and love grew exceedingly. Let me have similar ground of joy in you. You have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, and have made your profiting to appear, but we beseech you, brethren, to abound more and more. Endeavour to honour God more, to adorn the gospel more, to diffuse richer benefits among the saints, and to give more abundant evidence of your piety to all around you. So shall you be approved of your God, both now and in the eternal world, for he is not unrighteous, to forget your work and labour of love which ye have showed towards his name, in that ye have ministered unto the saints, and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. The Efficacy of the Gospel Philemon 10 and 11 I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. The inspired volume certainly differs in many respects from what we might have expected. We should have supposed that it would contain only such things as could not be known except by revelation. But behold, here is a letter written to a single individual, on a subject which might occur at any time or place, a letter containing no particular point of doctrine, but simply requesting a master to receive with kindness an offending but repentant slave. It should seem strange, I say, that such an epistle should be dictated by inspiration and be preserved for the edification of the church to the end of time. But so it is, and an attentive consideration of its contents will soon convince us that it is worthy of its divine author. We must never forget that the word of God is intended to regulate our spirit and conduct in every situation and relation of life, and in this view the epistle before us possesses a transcendent excellency, for though it does not state particularly any of the doctrines of the gospel, it does show us in a very impressive manner, first, the spirit which it breathes, where its influence is complete. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds. Let us here mark, one, the interest which the apostle took in the welfare of Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave belonging to Philemon, who was a person of eminence, perhaps a minister in the church at Colossae. He had fled from his master, having, it should seem, first robbed him, and had come many hundred miles off to Rome, where he conceived he should be perfectly out of the reach of his master's inquiries. It happened that at the time Paul was a prisoner at Rome, yet, though a prisoner, was permitted to see and to instruct all who came to him. Onesimus, probably from curiosity, went to see and hear this famous servant of Christ, and, through the special grace of God, was converted under his ministry. 
He soon made himself known to Paul, and approving himself a sincere convert to the faith of Christ, ingratiated himself into the favour of the apostle, who received and loved him as a son. In truth, he was now, in a spiritual sense, his son, since, by the ministry of the word, the apostle, as it is expressed, had begotten him in his bonds. The apostle now desired to restore him to the favour and protection of that master whom he had so greatly injured, and for that end he wrote this epistle to Philemon, and sent it by the hands of Onesimus himself, for he judged that no man can be a true penitent without making restitution to all whom he has wronged, and asking pardon of all whom in any great degree he has offended. He judged this to be necessary as well for the peace and comfort of Onesimus as for the honour of God and his gospel, and therefore notwithstanding the loss of his kind attentions would be severely felt by the apostle, he would on no account retain him at Rome, but send him back to his master Philemon at Colossae. 2. The exquisite delicacy with which he pleaded his cause. In point of delicacy of feeling and sentiment, this epistle has not perhaps its equal in the world. Some of its leading features we will proceed to notice. The apostle's object was so to break the matter to Philemon as not to shock his feelings, and so plead the cause of Onesimus as to procure for him a favourable reception. Hence arose a necessity for touching every point with tenderness and delicacy which the apostle proceeded to do, not by rules of art, though the most consummate wisdom could not have devised any plan more appropriate than that which is here pursued, but by the simple dictates of love. He begins with acknowledging Philemon's eminence both in faith and love, and with declaring what exquisite joy he felt, both in the accounts which he had heard of him, and in remembering him before God in his daily supplications. This had a tendency to disarm Philemon, if he felt any bitter resentment against Onesimus, for he could not well indulge hatred when he himself experienced so much love. The apostle then proceeds in the language of meek entreaty to request Philemon's pardon in behalf of this returning slave. He reminds Philemon that, as he himself, no less than Onesimus, had received the truth by means of his ministry, he might well assume the authority of a father, and require, rather than request, the performance of so plain a duty, but he chose rather to entreat as a favour, as a favour to him who was now grown old in the service of his lord, and was a prisoner too for the truth's sake, that he would be reconciled to Onesimus, whom the apostle himself regarded as a son." How could such a request as this, a request from such a person under such circumstances, be refused? Methinks it was not possible for Philemon, however ignorant against Onesimus, to reject a petition offered by his own spiritual father in such terms as these. He goes on to remind Philemon that Onesimus, who had hitherto but ill-deserved that name, since he had been so unprofitable, would henceforth act a more worthy part, and be indeed profitable, in whatever capacity he should be employed this consideration would not be without its influence more especially as the apostle speaks of himself as having been materially benefited by the services of onesimus as philemon himself would in all probability be in future he then suggests a thought which must of necessity produce a great effect upon philemon's mind philemon being himself an eminent servant of christ could not but know that god had formed his purposes from all eternity and that if any be converted to the faith of Christ, it is in consequence of God's electing love, who has ordained the time, the means, the manner, and everything respecting his conversion from all eternity. Now, says Paul, who can tell? Perhaps all that Onesimus did, and whereby he so justly provoked thy displeasure, was in the counsel of God, ordained to be the means whereby he should be converted to the faith of Christ, and though not in his own intention, yet in the intention of an unerring God, 
he therefore departed for a season that thou mightest receive him for ever not now a servant but above a servant a brother beloved this would in no respect excuse the wickedness of onesimus any more than god's intention to redeem the world would excuse the murderers of the lord jesus onesimus was a free agent in all that he did but perhaps god had seen fit to leave him to the wickedness of his own heart in order that he might thus be brought under the ministry of paul and have the grace of god the more abundantly magnified in his conversion and in the whole of his future life how effectually would such a thought as this engage a pious mind like that of philemon's to cooperate with god and to advance to the uttermost the purposes of his grace lest the recollection of the losses sustained by means of onesimus should rankle in philemon's mind the apostle further adds that whatever onesimus might owe him he paul would most gladly undertake to pay though he did not much expect that such a demand of pecuniary compensation would be made upon him by one who owed to him what was of more value than the whole world even his own soul finally as though he were pleading for his own life and all his happiness were bound up in the obtaining of this request he entreats if thou count me a partner a partaker of the same salvation with thyself receive him as myself yea brother let me have joy of thee in the lord refresh my bowels in the lord for they are all in commotion whilst his acceptance with thee is in suspense and nothing but thy compliance with my request can give them rest footnote verse twenty this is the force of the word anapafson end footnote now the point which i wish to be noticed here is not the line of argument merely but the delicacy of the sentiment and the exquisite address with which the apostle seeks to attain his end this if it had been the effect of art would have gained our admiration but as the effect of christian principle and christian love it is edifying in the highest degree inasmuch as it shows what a spirit the gospel breathes and what genuine christianity will universally inspire from the account which the apostle gives of onesimus we are led to notice second the change which it operates where its influence is begun onesimus says the apostle was in time past unprofitable but now will be profitable both to thee and me the state of every man previous to his conversion may be said to be unprofitable because he does not answer the true ends of his creation he does nothing for god nothing for the church nothing for his own soul but no sooner will divine grace reach his heart than he will endeavour to be serviceable one to the church of god generally onesimus having received the truth in the love of it instantly set himself to work if by any means he might render service to the apostle in his confinement doubtless such a servant at such a juncture was an unspeakable comfort to the apostle and would greatly alleviate the pains and sorrows of his imprisonment and no doubt whatever onesimus was able to do he did with great delight not shrinking back from the horrors of a prison nor intimidated by the sufferings inflicted on st paul but rejoiced to have an opportunity of testifying his love to one who had been such an instrument of good to his own soul now here we see what every true convert will do he will begin to inquire how can i cooperate with my minister in his labours of love how can i strengthen his hands how can i encourage his heart what can i do either to show my love to him or to impart to others the benefits which i myself have received can i assist in any way in visiting the sick in instructing the ignorant in relieving the needy in teaching the rising generation whether my talents be more or less i am determined that they shall not be wrapped in a napkin but be diligently improved for my god freely i have received and i will freely give 
yes beloved brethren how unprofitable soever a man may have been in times past he will not willingly be so any longer but will be profitable to his minister and to the church of christ as far as his ability will admit two to those who have a more immediate claim upon him onesimus would henceforth be profitable to his master philemon oh in what a different spirit would he serve his master now we apprehended indeed that philemon instantly gave him his liberty and that he immediately became an assistant in the church of colossae to whom st paul gave him a most satisfactory testimonial but if he had continued in the service of philemon we can have no doubt but that he would have justified the character given of him by st paul and proved truly profitable to his master and herein divine grace will be sure to show itself it will lead us to fill up our station in life whatever that station be with the utmost care and diligence are we servants we shall regard our master as placed over us by the lord himself and shall do him service as unto the lord were we even slaves we should fulfil our duties as unto god himself who has appointed us our lot and who requires that we execute with fidelity the work he has assigned us it is often made a matter of complaint indeed against religious servants that they are idle and impatient of reproof and glad should i be if there were not too much reason for this complaint but let not this evil be imputed to religion for religion condemns it utterly the gospel requires no sanction to such conduct nor any occasion for it it requires that servants demean themselves with modesty and humility and not towards kind masters only but towards such as are harsh and severe and it especially enjoins that they fulfil all their duties not with eye-service as men pleases but as unto god doing the will of god from their hearts let it be remembered then that the true and proper tendency of the gospel is to improve us in every station and relation of life and that if it operate not this change in our hearts and lives we have never received it as we ought learn then from hence one to abound in all acts and offices of love who does not admire the character given of philemon whose love was such as to attract the notice of all and constrain them to acknowledge the abundance of the grace bestowed upon him whilst by his kindness and liberality the bowels of the saints were so greatly refreshed and who does not admire the interest which the apostle took in the welfare of a poor slave who had run away from his master such beloved are the offices in which we should delight none on earth are so low or abandoned but they deserve notice from us and should be objects of our pity and compassion i call upon you then if there be any whom by your instructions you may restore to god or by your kind offices you may reconcile to man to engage in the good work with all your heart and to labour to the uttermost to diffuse the blessings which are the sure result of faith and love two to bring men if possible under the sound of the gospel see the effects produced on this worthless character worse than unprofitable had onesimus been but by the hearing of the gospel he was turned to god of whom then will you despair who will not lay down the weapons of his rebellion when god speaks with power to his soul it may be that a person is hardened under the gospel even as onesimus was for we cannot doubt but that the pious philemon had endeavoured to watch over his domestics but in vain had all his instructions been not so the instructions of the apostle paul when accompanied with a divine power to his soul then he became a new creature and though a slave of man was made the freeman of the lord so may it be with those whom you may bring to attend where christ is preached god may meet them as he did onesimus many who like zacchaeus 
have thought of nothing but gratifying a foolish curiosity have been made to obey the voice of christ and have found salvation come unto their souls if one such instance occur through your instrumentality you will have saved a soul from death and hid a multitude of sins three to bear in mind your own obligations to your great advocate and intercessor jesus christ doubtless onesimus would long remember his obligations to st paul but what were they in comparison with what you owe to the lord jesus christ think how you have cast off the yoke of almighty god and robbed him of all the service to which he was entitled and gone to a distance from him that you might live as without god in the world think how the lord jesus christ has instructed you and brought you to the knowledge of salvation and restored you to the favour of your offended god think how he has not merely offered to pay your debt but has actually discharged it yes of him it was exacted says the prophet and he was made answerable and he laid down his own life a ransom for you to his continual intercession too are you indebted for all that peace which is maintained between god and your souls will you not then be thankful to him or rather shall there be any bounds to your gratitude bless him then and adore and magnify him and call upon all that is within you to bless his holy name and now endeavour to be profitable to him consecrate to him all your faculties and all your powers live for him die for him if need be and begin now the song in which you shall ere long join all the choirs of heaven to him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto god and our father to him be glory and dominion for ever and ever amen end of philemon by charles simeon